Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. Motley Fool Money. Stock of the Week. G'day Fools, Scott Phillips here, the Motley Fools Chief Investment Officer in Australia and welcome to another Motley Fool Stock of the Week where we pull back the curtain and give you a look at one of the companies on our buy list. Now, of course, as you know by now, this episode always goes on YouTube and on the Motley Fool Money podcast, so thank you for tuning in wherever across the internet you are finding us. Now, if it isn't your first time, or if it is, I want to remind you of three quick things before I introduce today's guest. The first, as always, we give general advice, not personal advice, so you need to decide whether what we say today is right for your circumstances. Secondly, we're long-term investors. When we say a company is a buy, we think it's a buy right now. We don't say the shares will go up next day or week or month or even year. We are long-term investors. We're looking at three to five years, even longer, and saying we think this is a long-term market beta, and we hope you take the same approach with your investing too. Lastly, this video is being recorded towards the beginning of February of 2022. If you're watching this meaning or listening to this meaningfully later than that, of course, our views might have changed. We do try and keep them uh, roughly stable, as you would expect, because we're long-term investors. If it's a good stock today, it's probably going to be a good stock tomorrow or next week or next year, but things change. Prices change, investment cases change, competition changes, all things can change. So bear in mind, if you're watching it after, meaningfully after, February 2022. You can see what we thought back then. Uh, hopefully get some thoughts about the company, learn a bit more, but don't assume, please, that it'll still be a buy recommendation when you're watching or listening to it. All right, that's out of the way. Let's get on to today's Stock of the Week. And before I mention what it is, let me welcome Drew Flowers. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Glad to be back after the break. Yes, thank you for rejoining us. Happy New Year, mate. It's, uh, it's a time to think about, well, new starts, maybe starting again, maybe making some changes in life. And if you're going to make a change to something in your house, maybe you can look at today's, how this is for a boring segue, today's stock, which of course is Adairs and the code is A-D-H on the ASX. Mate, it's been a, um, can I say tumultuous last month or so for Adairs? Yeah, so actually uh, it's been sort of a little bit like this for a lot of the retailers you know, up and down over the past 24 months. Um, mm sort of very sensitive to sort of people's expectations about reopening or closures or online sales or in-store sales. Um, mm. And the shares uh, did take a take a bit of punishment with the trading update a couple of weeks ago. Nice. All right, let's get into, let's wind it back a little bit. We mentioned Adairs. I mentioned the home furnishing thing, so I think people can assume it's that. But Adairs isn't just Adairs, at least not just the brand that we know and love. Tell us about Adairs, the business, if you would. Yeah, not anymore. So, um it's a homewares and furniture retailer, um, and I've added in furniture there because the most recent acquisitions, sort of at the start of this year and back in tw- end of 2019, they've acquired basically furniture businesses. This is focused on furniture, which you might know, particularly if you live in Victoria, and uh, Mocha, which is a New Zealand-based brand, and it's predominantly for kind of nursery items, small cots and, and other furniture like that. And essentially, you know, as a group now, they've got 190 stores, more or less. Some of them are quite big at the homemaker centres. Some of them are a little bit smaller. And, of course, they've added the 20-odd the focused on furniture stores most recently. And then uh, really large online presence. This is an omni-channel retailer, as they say. It's got stores and it's got online sales. And the Mocha brand at this stage is exclusively online although they will be looking to add stores in the future. 
Fascinating. So it's a big change for Adairs, the business. As you say, up until 2019, end of 2019, Adairs, the business was Adairs, the brand. Uh, Never the Twain was separated. So Never the Twain shall meet. And of course, they then go on this acquisition spree. You mentioned their omni-channel business as well, mate, because last time I checked, and I know the numbers were out more recently, and I haven't done the maths on that one, so correct me if you have them, about a third of the corporate store, corporate businesses' sales were then online, micro-exclusively online, as you say, but also the Adairs brand, which i got to say, before we really recommended this company, before I kind of looked at it in deeply, certainly this boring, staid, physical retailer. It was growing about 4% in terms of physical retail. You kind of, it's one of those yawning stocks, all right, well, we know it's there, of course I know it's around, I get it, but kind of is a bit boring and staid and whatever. Last year, sales were up 94%, their online sales were up. Uh, obviously pandemic related, of course, but it does go to show that this is not just a an online retailer that hopes to put a, put a website up and, and pretend it's an omnichannel retail. They're genuinely getting it done uh, on digital as well as they are in, in person. I guess, maybe contextualize for us the, the combination or, or how that looks as a total business at the moment. Yes, so you're right, it is about a third. Uh, I think 37% of sales in the okay. last financial year were uh, were online. Of course, boosted a little bit by Mocha, which is 100% online. Yeah. The Dare's brand overall, I think, was around 28 or 29%, but still very, very healthy. Mm, mm. Uh, of course, a lot of store closures. Um, although, to be fair, the store closures were actually a lot more since the last financial year, you know, in the last mm. six months or so. Yeah. So um, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but it, they are convinced, and I think there's a lot of evidence for this in, in certain categories of retail, that omni-channel operating online and in-store is the best combination. Because mm. there are things that our people do want to look at in person, particularly on the furniture side. I mean, uh, the, uh, you know, there are successful online furniture retailers, to be sure, you know, the likes of Temple and Webster. But there are a lot of items that people do want to see in person. And also there are a lot of times people want to, you know, things like homewares, people want to match the colours. They want to do spontaneous shopping. They want to buy gifts for people when they're moving house, you know, renovating. Someone buys their first home, family members go in with them as well. So there are sort of reasons why best is the the right combination. Mm. So Mocha is quite interesting because back in 2019, as I said, it's kind of nursery items is their niche. They do have other sort of furniture, but they really saw the sort of two advantages, really fast growing product, big in New Zealand. So a nice little geographic expansion, very complementary product line as well. So you can kind of cross sell when people are buying certain Adair's products, they might buy Mocha products as well. Mm. And they also saw the opportunity to kind of bring it to Australia um, open a lot of open some stores, not a lot of stores, but open a few stores and have that sort of complementary omni-channel presence again. And also, um, it, it, no disrespect in any way to the to the founders because they did a fantastic job growing the Mocker business. But to bring the the Adairs kind of clout in terms of operational professionalism, you know, systems, distribution, marketing. All these kind of things that that uh, small founders generally don't have, but a large corporate organisation does. It gives them the chance to kind of uh, get fruits for their labour over the past several years mm. and take a bit of money off the table. And Adairs gets the opportunity to continue growing the business and enhance the profitability. And it's been the same with um, Focus on Furniture uh, recently. So, again, it's that cross-sell opportunity expand the store footprint, particularly in, in the you know Queensland and, and northern New South Wales areas. You know, it's bigger in Victoria. 
And so it's it's buying a, a decent business at a, at a very attractive price. You know, when you're buying these private market businesses and they have a big cash balance, they're paying these low prices and then they can expand and enhance the profitability over time. Nice, I like that, mate. And that's part of what we like about the Adair story. But I'll get you to move on to that in more focus now. So obviously great brand. I'm going to say I'm not a core Adair shopper. You might be surprised to know. Our viewers might be some distance might be surprised to know. But it turns out I don't shop at Adairs very often. Um, but it was one of those businesses that does have a really great brand recognition. It's obviously growing nicer, or at least it was. We'll talk about the most recent announcements part of this. And of course, those bolt-on businesses. Is that in a, in a nutshell, the investment case for Adairs, or, or is there more besides? Yeah, I guess when, when we first looked at it, the three kind of things were the growing online presence, the uh, the bolt-on acquisitions actually weren't kind of part of our thesis. We were sort of wait and see on Mocker and we mm-hmm. didn't know what they were going to do with the cash balance, whether they were going to you know, buy back shares, pay the extra dividends, whatnot. So focus, we kind of took it as it comes and, and evaluated it when they made the deal. Because they've obviously said, you know, over time we're, we're looking for deals, however, the prices are high and over the past 18 months it's difficult to judge the operating performance because they've fluctuated so dramatically. So we don't want to pay a price that turns out to be too high two or three years down the track. So uh, we focused more on the the on the growth in the, the online channel, the um, the valuation, which I'll get to in, in a second point, but also the kind of as you said, the brand recognition of the the Adairs brand. And they have more than nine hundred fifty thousand what they call linen lover members. And um, it, these are paid members. So you actually pay a certain amount, you become a member for two years and it gets you invested. Um, but but the way we can really look at how impressive this is, yes, they pay, but also the, the growth rate of the past several years has been about 14.5% annually. So really strong growth. And they actually present in their sort of publications the correlation between growth in, in Linen Lovers members and sales growth, very highly correlated. And they give lots of other stats, of course. You know, they, they spend more in store, which is likely. Um, they're more frequent shoppers and they account for about 80% of the sales each year. I think the average Linen Lover member shops about four times a year. Wow, okay. Which is higher than I thought as well. And really, these are... <laughs> Consistent. Yeah. These are people who consistently go in and buy new, you know, new yeah. towel sets, new mm-hmm. um, pillows, throws, these kind of stuff because they want to, you know, change to a summer setting or a winter setting. They have lots of guests over. They might have an Airbnb property that they're refreshing. Right. And they really care about how the aesthetics of their home and they, you know, spend a lot of time at home. So it, it really is, you know, nearly a million people. I mean, we've got 25 million in Australia. Uh, that's uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Sort of eight million odd households of- too. So it's one one in eight households probably have a, a linen lovers card. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was I was absolutely shocked. And mm-hmm. you look at it, sort of, and then the other sort of sort of impressive thing is when they upsize the stores. So actually, my my local town, they've recently done one of these upsizings. And so they make the store 10, 15% bigger. In this situation, they've taken over the adjacent property and sales go up dramatically with a larger wow. store, Okay. which I was quite sort of fascinated about. And they say um, it's the same when they have the ones in the homemaker centers. 
those are extremely profitable relative to the smaller stores. Mm. And I guess part of that is because simply the product range, Mm. they can't hold all the stock in the smaller stores. And when they go to these bigger stores, hold more stock so people make more opportunistic purchases and really look look and say, oh, yes, I'll have that, I'll have that. Whereas if you go in, they don't have what you're looking for, you might go to a competitor Mm. or you might just spend less money. So these upsizing is really, really quite uh, profitable and, you know, I know we're on YouTube here, but often funded by the landlords. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, so let's get to the valuation you, you mentioned because... Uh, it's it's remarkably inexpensive. Uh, you were mentioning whether they use the cash for buybacks or buy focus on furniture, and part of me is still sad they didn't choose to do some buybacks at, at, at the current price, but that is water under the bridge. Tell me a bit anyway. Uh, I mean, they bought a, a relatively inexpensive business, so it's probably not a net loss, but tell me about the valuation that we find with Adairs at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you, if you want to take a good good look at the business, now's the time. Mm. So they put out, the, the, the results haven't come out yet, the official results haven't come out yet, so we don't have all the nitty-gritty details. But they put out a trading update and uh, said uh, what they think sales and normalised operating earnings, what they call EBIT, are going to be for the first half of FY22. And there's there's a fair bit going on there, but broad stroke sales are flat versus the prior period, you know, the first half in the prior year. Mm. Online sales, very strong. Store sales down and a little bit of contribution from focus on furniture, not, not right. much. Um, so what's happened there? Margins are down a little bit, which is to be expected. They actually telegraphed that in the in the prior year's results. Mm-hmm. said margins are incredibly strong, FY21. Gross margins strong, you know, the Australian dollar was stronger. That benefits them. They buy a lot of their products from Asia, for example. That's where they get all the manufacturing done. Of course, it's a, sorry, I must say it's a, called vertically integrated, essentially, retailers. In These are all exclusive products. It contracts people to manufacture them. This is not, they're not uh, selling other people's products, which I think is a key differentiator between that and a lot of other retailers. Yeah, yeah. So get off off track sometimes. Um, So if we look at just what the EBIT they made in the first half of the year, and we put, we we say they're going to make that in the second half, Mm -hmm. and we put a 30% tax rate on it, we get about $45 million in net profit. And if you look at the current market cap, 565, it's P about 12 and a half. Hmm. Now, the first half was not their best, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, you know, the margins were under pressure, but also the stores were closed for an incredible amount of time. Victoria, hmm. the stores, I think that 31% of the time, the Victorian stores were closed. Right. Um, and you've got to think, like, even uh, managing staff is extremely difficult. People had to isolate. You know, some people were infected, of course. Got to give a lot of sick leave. You know, their morale is not particularly high either. Um, but what was impressive, the, the online sales were strong. They were bigger, slightly higher than the previous year. Mm. Mocker sales were up as well, which has been quite impressive because it was Share price took a bit of punishment as well when they announced the Mocha earnout payments and what was going to happen there. So Mocha sales were strong. Adairs online was strong. The stores obviously didn't go so well and, and margins were under pressure. But we think a lot of these were really temporary factors. 
the stores, when they can be reopen um, and uh, they can operate kind of normally, hopefully, semi-normally, then the, the margins should should continue to revert to somewhere between where they were this half and the, the year before, somewhere in between. Um, and if we just look longer term, um, our sort of colleague Ed's written a really sort of nice article for the, the Dividend Investor Service and talked about how sales have grown 10% annually since FY17. EBIT operating income's grown even faster than that. Um, and that's relative to these levels that they've just announced, which apparently the market doesn't like. Mm. So it really you is a, a... Go on, go on. Sorry, a kind of consistently growing, high single-digit, low double-digit kind of sales, strong profitability. The margins are you know, kind of very healthy, generates a lot of cash and pays a very healthy dividend. Yeah, it's worth looking at those online sales, even the total sales, really, in the context of this time last year or the first half last year, where we had that initial lockdown, everyone jumped online. When sales were up 94% in the previous financial year, um, I, I, I do wonder sometimes what the market was expecting. I, I've said for Adairs and a few other retailers as well, I wouldn't have been surprised if sales were down this year on what was otherwise a, a high, particularly with non-consumable products, right? You're right, some people do shop there four times a year, they're gonna probably keep doing it, although maybe a little bit less. Others have said, hey, we're stuck at home. Let's buy that new rug, throw pillow, towels, sheets, whatever it is, um, such that they've probably pulled sales forward as well. I think in both of those contexts, to be able to grow moderately online, flat growth uh, total, actually was actually a pretty credible result given all the stuff that was going on. And I think, as you say, if it's 12 times normalised current earnings, and then you assume that maybe some of that momentum returns in the second half or thereafter, it does put the opportunity, I think, uh, in the upside category rather than the downside category. Anything can go wrong, of course, anything can happen, but it does seem like a business that um, had proven itself before the pandemic, during the pandemic, certainly in the beginning, and I said that at 94% growth in, in online sales, 20, was it 20, 70% um, sales being online, something like that. It, it's a remarkable number. Let, let me ask you quickly too, Matt, before we get to the risks, just a, it's kind of a quasi-risk, I suppose, but just a, your general thoughts on, on those omni-channel businesses. If, when do they, if they do, get to the point where they realise they have to start closing stores because 30, 35, 40, 45% of sales are online and it starts to make those unit economics at store level unprofitable. Do you have a view on when that might be and also how a business like Adairs might be impacted financially, share price-wise, uh, by having to try and manage a effectively a, a kind of closure program potentially of physical stores while still trying to grow their business overall? Yeah, I'm not as kind of... Negative on physical retail. It, it kind of depends on the product, I guess. Um, yeah. And I think that um, the furniture is extremely well suited, but even the homewares, to an extent, uh, I think people like to to buy it in person. I think that and the, the kind of locations matter as well. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're you know in a, in a small town or you know a, a suburb with a homemaker center and you only have to drive ten minutes to go and pick it up, and you mm-hmm. kind of want it now, you want to look at it and you want it now. <laughs> That's right. Um, you might want to match it to something, mm. okay, you know, in, in, at some point there'll be sort of augmented reality and you'll be able to kind of visualise it in your home and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I think that uh, physical sales will remain re- relatively high. I, you know, at some point it might, online sales might be 40, 50% of, of the dare's business. Do they get to 70 or something? I, I'd be surprised. Mm. But I guess that one corollary we could draw is with banking. Mm. Um, and, and as they've shifted to away from branches and to online banking, really hasn't affected the business that much, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, profitability remains 
very high, if not higher. Mm. Uh, you know, it's been negative for employment. It's been probably negative for real estate and things like that. But for the for the banking business itself, uh, you know, doing uh, online transactions versus processing checks is is good business. So, um, I would like to see one one sort of negative about it is they don't have click and collect. Mm. Um, they have call and collect, which is surprisingly <laughs> effective. I, I, I would have thought very nineteen nineties. It is. And to be fair, the staff are incredibly helpful. I have yeah. called them and asked for a couple of items and, and they've right. been happy to get it and they'll get it from another store for you and, and okay. things like that. Okay. So, mm. so they're great. Mm. But I think um, they really need to sort of add some more modern features to really take them into... But, but saying that, having said that, I mean, there's success despite that. I mean, with so many... You know, online sales growing at great rates and, and a high percentage of sales despite having a no click and collect. Incredible. Yeah, yep. not a problem to be solved just yet. Mate, we'll get into the risks in just a second. But first, if you are watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Please do hit the subscribe button below this video. And if you want to see more from Drew and his colleagues, our colleagues at The Motley Fool, make sure you hit the notification bell as well. That way, when a new video is released on this channel, you will get it straight away. If you're on YouTube, by the way, and you like podcasts, Check out the Motley Fool Money podcast where this uh, episode is, is it simulcast? I think it's a very 90s term, speaking of which. You can also find this audio version of this episode on the Motley Fool Money podcast feed and a whole lot of great stuff as well. We do two other episodes a week. We do a bit of a kind of week in finance and business, some thoughts about some investing education, just what's going on. And then we do a weekly mailbag episode, which is pretty much uh, the fan favorite. So jump onto the podcast, subscribe to that. While you're there, also check out the Good Oil podcast called The Good Oil with Scott Phillips. Apologies for the name check. The Boffins at Listener said I had to use my name so that people could find that one rather than other podcasts that are already called the same thing. So I have to deal with that. Uh, so do check those out if you are interested. They're really good. Great conversations on, on the good oil with some business leaders, executives, experts, economists, all that kind of good stuff. Really will help you understand what's going on. And if you're on the podcast machine, thank you for doing that. Do check out the good oil and why not check out YouTube? I can't promise you that looking at me is any better than listening to me, but uh, you get to look at our analysts, you get to see what we're talking about, you get some extra fancy graphics, but of course, on the channel, so much more. We do a Stocks in Focus video, which is only on YouTube. We do our favorite investing books, we do media appearances. Uh, generally, we have uh, conversations with the investing team on a whole lot of topics. So check that out if you are keen. That's Just go to YouTube and search The Motley Fool Australia, or you can go straight to youtube.com slash C slash Fool AU. And again, when you get there, don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell. All right, let's get to the risks of an investment in Adairs, Drew, because every business has its risks, every investment has its risks. And what we are saying, this is a buy recommendation. We are very clear about that. We're not blind and we always share with our members the risks of any investment in any company because we're investing not because there are no risks, but because we think the price we're being offered and the odds of those risks make for an attractive investment opportunity. So with that in mind, mate, go through for me if you would, and for our listeners and viewers, the risks of an investment in Adairs today. Uh, so uh, just to knock one out quickly is the, it now has debt on the balance sheet. Mm. Um, previously it had a net cash position, but it's just paid for a focus on furniture and it paid the the earnout, what they call earnout, for Mocha. So basically, Mocha has performed at or better than the expectations when they signed the initial contract, mm. and so they had to pay um, some funds there. Those have come out, and it now has a, a net debt position, which it didn't previously have. Mm. So it adds a, adds some extra risks. The main there there is really two two risks to a, a retailer. Um, competition is number one. Mm. Um, uh, this is my aversion. I, 
my preference is generally for businesses that have very low levels of competition. Yeah. Um, so this is, I do own a few shares to be clear. Um, it's my first kind of foray into this level of sort of competitive environment. Um, and if you think about all the businesses that sell products in, in, in all of their ranges, you have things like Sheridan, for example, um, you know, the big department stores, okay, they haven't been performing that well, but they're definitely competitors. Mm. And the furniture side, you have the, the online furniture businesses like Temple and Webster. You have the physical furniture businesses, which are large chains, but also small independents. Uh, generally on a more localised, regional basis, mm. competition, number one. Number two would be uh, the strength of the consumer. So sort of consumer balance sheets. Mm. Um, you think about people's mortgage levels, the level of interest rate, you know, if interest rates went up ra- rapidly and people had significantly higher interest payments on their mortgages, that might affect it. And also just their level of sort of the wages and optionality what what consumers are spending with their money you know if all of a sudden tomorrow uh, the borders are opening apparently 21st of february i believe yes yep Uh, if if people can all of a sudden fly overseas you know Mm. go for three or four holidays to bali every year maybe they're not going to spend maybe they're not going to renovate their bathroom and and spend some extra money in there so Mm. definitely competition and level of consumer spending for me very nice. Thank you, mate. I think it's a, a good summary and you're right. I, I also own shares in Adairs for full disclosure um, and that competition is a risk. Man, you think about there's decent decent competition in homewares and think about furniture. I can probably rattle off six or seven furniture chains off the top of my head. Uh, they are walking where angels fear to tread to some degree, but again, that's focused on furniture's core business. Adairs, is, as you say, has bought um, some extra professionalism and some extra opportunity for growth to that business as well. So they know what they're doing. They're certainly familiar with the space. They weren't going with their eyes closed. It is a risk, um, but I think as you do, the current price is, uh, is well and truly accommodative uh, for the risks that we're otherwise taking. All right, mate, let's do our patented elevator pitch, not really patented, uh, from the first floor to the 31st floor in 30 or 60 seconds. Convince me, our listeners and our viewers, that now might be a time for them to consider buying shares in Adairs. Yeah, so Adairs is a, a really strong omni-channel retailer. It's got a great store presence. It's really growing rapidly online. We think that they can improve the online business, things like click and collect, distribution, um, the margins have been growing. It's got a, a really strong track record of delivering both sales and profit growth, paying healthy dividends. They've made a couple of smart acquisitions at, at good prices. And we think that they can grow those businesses a really, you know, there's a great opportunity there from the base that they have. And after the, the fall from the, from the trading update, the shares are really attractively priced, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 12 and a half times. And we think that uh, it'll it'll bounce back over the next year or two as trading conditions improve. There you go, fools. The elevator pitch for Adage, which I think is a pretty compelling one, as does Drew. It is a recommendation of ours at the Motley Fool. It is a buy recommendation. So we are sharing with you not only what we think, but what each Drew, Drew and I each own, uh, which gives you a sense of our confidence. Now, as we always say, don't just buy one stock. If you have a diversified portfolio, if you're thinking of buying Adairs, then great, consider it, see if it's right for you. But don't just buy one stock ever, no matter who you hear it from, no matter what you hear, no matter how confident the person seems to be, make sure you are thoroughly and appropriately diversified because we don't want either bad news, just we might simply be wrong, or there might be some short-term pain that scares you out of the stock at exactly the wrong time. It's important to be diversified and make sure you can manage your emotions and your portfolio, uh, particularly in volatile markets like we've seen over the last year or two. Drew, thank you for sharing your expertise with our viewers and listeners. I really appreciate it. And viewers and listeners, thank you for spending a bit of time with us. As I say, most times you can do anything else with your time. And if you decide to spend a little bit of time with hearing 
hearing from Drew uh, and from the rest of our team. Hopefully, we've added some value to you. Hopefully, we've made that time you spent with us worthwhile. So from Drew, myself, and the whole Motley Fool team, until next time, Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.